The scripture reading for today comes from the Gospel of John, chapter 14, verse 12. Jesus says, I assure you that whoever believes in me will do the works I do. They will do even greater works than these. A quote from Jesus. It's actually a quote that's not talked about very much. Frankly, a lot of people in the Christian tradition, I'm a Christian pastor, I pastor a church in Minneapolis and I do things like this, and a lot of people in the Christian tradition get really nervous about hearing Jesus say things like, ordinary people are going to do the works that Jesus does, and then they're going to do even greater works than these. I have written an entire book about this idea. It's called Outdoing Jesus. I'm going to talk about it with you today, this idea that ordinary people are outdoing Jesus. It's really good news, and chances are you're already one of them because this is what we've been up to all along. This big project of Jesus has been to call humanity to do the very things that Jesus was doing. Part of the reason that I've written a book about this is because there is a lot of pressure inside the religious tradition of Christianity to limit the goodness to a long-ago time. I, I get the reason for that. It's uh, often fueled by the notion that you want Jesus to be something special, that you want Jesus to not just be a run-of-the-mill prophet or teacher. There's a real passion. People have been changed by the teachings of Jesus. They've been inspired by the life of Jesus. There's this impulse in a lot of us to sort of elevate our teachers to the levels of heroes. But sometimes that separates us from the very call of that teacher, from the very call of that leader. And so I've written this entire book that frames around the Gospel of John. The, the words that we're talking about, they come out of the Gospel of John. And actually this outdoing Jesus business, this was Jesus' idea from the beginning. This is what Jesus was up to the whole time. The entire project of Jesus' life and the reason the Gospel of John or the Gospel of Matthew or Luke or Mark, the ones that are recorded in the, the group of books that are put into the Christian Bible is because they tell a story of all of us being called into it. They tell a story of a people being called and shaped. So we're going to take you through a series of slides here. I want to tell you a little bit about the Gospel of John, where this phrase comes from, where this particular... Do we have that to go up on the screen, the one that says a curious case for the Gospel of John? Yeah. Um, so um, th there's another slide that'll, that'll, uh, that we'll walk you through here this morning. The... Book of John, it's one of the four Gospels, but it's really different than the others. I don't know how much time you spend around the Gospels. People like me that have master's degrees in this stuff, like we've spent a lot of time. And I'll tell you, it's a curious and confusing book compared to the others. Here's why. The Gospel of John tells seven miraculous signs. Those seven signs are not included in any of the other Gospels. They're only in this set. They're really particular. In fact, there's some of the other Gospels that might have something that's sort of similar to these, uh, these writings, but they're not the same stories. So the Gospel of John tells of these seven and lays them out as a creation narrative. The Gospel of John has Jesus as the brother of all of humanity trying to lead humanity in a new way of life, in a new way of living in a new way of being, in a new way of loving and caring for one another. And so in the Gospel of John, there's this creation narrative by which people are going to become a new, live in a new way and become a new people. 
This is part of the reason that people gather on a weekly rhythm like this at a church like this. I was chatting with someone who, uh, before the service started, and I said, are you a regular around here? Because it's my first time. I've never been here on a Sunday morning, so I like to meet all the other people that have never been here on a Sunday morning because we're all in this together, right? Uh, and uh, uh, this person said, well, I do go to another church, but when I want to get my inner radical on, I come to Middle Collegiate. Maybe that's why you come too. You sort of get this sense that you come and something gets reordered, something gets reshaped, something gets reactivated. There's this recreation that starts happening in you. It's the funny word is recreation. Do you know that word? It's also the recreation. So there's this recreation narrative of a new kind of humanity that starts to unfold. And so the seven miraculous signs in the Gospel of John. They point to a way of humanity. What I've done in the book, I'll talk a little bit about one of those signs today, is to try to say that we are already living this out in our days and our lives. And part of the reason I think this really matters is not only for those of us who follow God in the way of Jesus and want to follow in the teaching path of Jesus, but Christianity as a religion has the potential to be really beautiful, to bring real kindness and goodness and generosity and empathy and abundance to the world. It also has the potential to be really harmful to the human spirit, to fuel people's deepest and darkest desires, to cause people to live in ways that hurt the planet, that hurt one another, that hurt humanity. There's a lot on the line. I'm not trying to say that I'm some Messiah traveling around trying to save the planet, but maybe we all are. Maybe this call of Jesus was important in Jesus' day and it's important in our day because there's a lot on the line. There's a racism that's born out of white supremacy. There's an exclusivist attitude about faith and religion. There's a, a punishing narrative that doesn't seem to want to leave humanity alone. And then there's the teachings and the call of Jesus. That's part of the reason that I think that the passion call of Jesus and the seven signs in the Gospel of John point us, they direct us, they show us not to a way we ought to be, but to the way that we are that we ought to be even more. This is the thing that's so beautiful about the story of Jesus. is He's presented as the son of God and simultaneously as the brother of humanity. Jesus is not proclaimed as the miraculous exception to humanity. Jesus in the Gospel of John is shown as that magnificent rule for humanity. Muhammad and I were talking about this a little bit before, and Muhammad has traveled to Bethlehem, and he's looked at the places where Jesus traveled and where Jesus was buried, and he said, in Islam, you don't talk about Jesus being just the Son of God without also talking about all of us also being the children of God. That's the Gospel of John kind of thing. That's part of the reason why the Gospel of John to me is so exciting. It's a story of celebration and empathy and empowerment and abundance and fearlessness and participation and liberation. And I also want to share one other thing. Did you hear the phrasing in the, in the scripture reading? Those who believe in me will do the works that I'm doing and they'll do even greater works than these. Did you pick up on that little phrase? There's an awful lot of people who in the Christian tradition, they really hook a lot on the word believe. And they almost turn it into something conditional. Like, well, some of you, but not all of you. The curious thing, can you put up that believe and not belief line? The thing about the word believe 
I don't want to take you back to your second grade uh, English class or to schoolhouse rock if you're someone like me, but you might know that the word believe is a verb. The word belief is a noun, a person, a place, or a thing. Now, a noun you can hold, a noun you can keep, a noun you possess, a verb you do. In the Gospel of John, it uses the word believe 83 times. Quite literally, its book isn't that long. I mean, Bible books are not real books, right? They're like Bible books, right? You can get through them really quick. There's like 20, 21 chapters in them. They're real quickies. You can't turn a page without seeing the word believe in the Gospel of John. The Gospel of John uses the word belief, the noun, zero times. It never uses it. There are only three books in the entire Bible that don't use the word belief. The Gospel of John, 2 John, and 3 John. The writer of John was sort of into believe and not belief. What's going on here is that there is a calling for us to verb, to do, to believe, to act, not to hold and to possess and to keep. What Jesus says essentially, my paraphrase, if you'll grant that to me, those who are doing in my way, they'll keep doing what I'm doing and they'll do even greater things than these. Those who believe, those who do, they're just going to keep doing. The Gospel of John is not calling people to start up and to fake it as a bunch of doers. It's to say, look at what you already do and keep on doing. Keep on living. Keep on happening. Now, you might think that the Gospel of John is somehow structured in some way that it's going to tell a story of Jesus that is so unbelievable you could never do it. I've spent a lot of time in the seven signs in the Gospel of John, and I'm really into it. I love it. Uh, it impassions my life. I'm traveling the country on a book tour to talk to people about it, right? So I'm all in. The seven miracles, miraculous signs in the Gospel of John, they're not all that impressive. Truthfully, we're going to look at one of them today. We can look at all seven of them. I'm going to do two more events today, uh, this afternoon. They're not all that impressive. What's going on in the Gospel of John is it's about you doing greater than things. Those who believe in me will do the works I'm doing and do even greater than, than these. Not being better than. It's not a competition. It's not morality. Can you put up the pictures up there? I want to show you a picture of my friend Barry Taylor. Barry Taylor is a theologian and an art expert. I like having friends like that. He was in my office a couple of years ago, and he looked and saw that on my wall I had this big painting painted by a friend of mine that looks like this. So he sees this painting up on the wall. Can you go to that next slide with that painting? Uh, up on the wall, and it didn't have Luke Hillstead on there. I got this off the internet. But he looks at that picture, and my friend, Barry, looks at it and said, boy, that looks an awful lot like an odd Nerdrum painting. And now, have you, anybody ever heard of odd Nerdrum? Yep, me either, right? Other than the fact that my friend Luke, can you go to that next slide? My friend Luke was a student of Odd Nerdrum. So Barry walks in, looks at this painting, and says, that looks like an Odd Nerdrum painting. Well, Luke has been, and Odd Nerdrum lives in Paris, and Luke in Minneapolis has been studying with Odd. Can you go to the next slide? That's Odd Nerdrum, that's Odd style. Can you go to the next slide? 
Barry is able to look at the painting on the left and see from his memory that it looks like the painting on the right. He can see the way and the path of the stroke and the style in Luke's painting that came from Odd Nerdrum's painting. Odd Nerdrum actually saw a Rembrandt and was painting in the style of Rembrandt. And from Rembrandt to Odd to Luke. Now what Luke is not doing is trying to be better than Odd. What he's trying to do is to paint the Luke style in the way of Odd and Rembrandt. What Jesus calls us to is to be you, fully and completely you, painting your life in this same way that Jesus did the miraculous signs of the Gospel of John. It's about believing, believing those ways. The other thing that's in the Gospel of John all the time are the words eternal life. This gets really scary for some people, so be careful, hang in there with me. Christianity and other religions have, have defined the word eternal to basically mean afterlife. You could hear someone say, if you have the right belief, you will get to go to heaven. Hold the right noun and you will get to go to a place. When Jesus and the Gospel of John says, anyone who believes in me will do the works I'm doing, and these stories were written so that you would have life and have eternal life abundantly. Eternal doesn't mean afterlife. What it means is without beginning and without end. The everlasting way. The everlasting life. So what Jesus is doing in the Gospels is calling all of humanity to live to believe as a verb in the everlasting path that has no beginning and no end and you can just keep going. Do you see how a story of the same phrase could be turned, hold the right belief and you get to go to a place versus live in the way and there will never be an end to the goodness. I know a lot of people who've never heard that version of the story. They've only ever heard the noun and the location. It torments. It sits heavy. You want to dive into one? Let's go into one, shall we? Okay, so there's seven. I like to refer to them as the time the, 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 time the wine ran out. There's seven stories that are in the Gospel of John. They're, they're fabulous. They're beautiful in their own right. They're not impressive as miracles go. We'll get into that in a minute. But the one where the time the wine ran out. It's the first miracle that's, that's, that's in the Gospel of John. And I thought, well, if I'm going to be with the people at Middle Church, which one of the stories would really fit them? How about the one where there ends up being a little bit of wine or a whole lot of wine at the end of it? All right, so I thought we would do that one with all, with all y'all. All right, so here we go. Can you put that text up there for me? Can you put the text of the whole scripture? Yeah, go, uh, go one more and one more. All right, I'm going to ask somebody. There's three of these slides. It's the story. It won't take us long, but I'm going to ask three different people to read this out loud for the rest of us. This is a little thing we do at my church, so I'm going to kind of feel like I'm back at home. So go ahead. You can stand up and just read it real loud like you're, like you're preaching on a street corner somewhere. All right, go ahead. Just, just pop up and on give it a shot. On the third shot. day, there was a wedding in Cana of Galilee. 
Jesus' mother was there, and Jesus and his disciples were also invited to the celebration. When the wine ran out, Jesus' mother said to him, they don't have any wine. Jesus replied, woman, what does that have to do with me? My time hasn't come yet. His mother told the servants, do whatever he tells you. Next slide. I'm glad you get it already. Nearby were six stone water jars used for the Jewish cleansing ritual, each table to hold about 20 or 30 gallons. Jesus said to the servants, fill the jars with water, and they filled them to the brim. Then he told them, now draw some of them and take it to the head waiter, and they did. The head waiter tasted the water that had become wine. He didn't know where it came from, though the servants who had drawn the water knew. And the final slide. The head waiter called the groom and said, everyone serves the good wine first. They bring out the second-rate wine only when the guests are drinking freely. You kept the good wine until now. This was the first miraculous sign that Jesus did in Cana of Galilee. Yeah, that's the first one. I mean, really, I mean, all honesty, if you're like writing a story where you want to have a miraculous person come on the scene, wouldn't you consider like, okay, scene one, let's have him fly, right? <laughs> let's have him do something. What does he do? He ends up at a wedding party. They run out of wine. His mom recruits him into it. He's like, this isn't even my time. I don't want to be a part of this. Then they end up with more people having wine and no one knows that Jesus did it. The servants, not even the groom knows what happened. What's going on in this story? If somehow this is a story that's supposed to show the huge miraculous nature of only Jesus, one in a lifetime that no one would ever repeat, it doesn't really have that substance to it, does it? Until you say, oh, maybe this is something we're all supposed to be up to. What's not obvious from the text, but you might know, is that in the first century, like in the 21st century, having drinkable liquid is really important. It really matters. In fact, we tend to think about clean water either coming from a well or being purified through a system. But for most of humankind, water was made drinkable through fermentation and making wine. What Jesus does in the making of wine is he makes something that's drinkable. Do you know what's happening around the world right now with people who are making things drinkable? It's incredible. Desalinization that's happening, taking water out of the ocean and making it drinkable is giving clean water to millions of people. There is a company that has created a sewage processing system that can take the sewage of 100,000 people a day and produce pure, clean, what's called kidney-level clean drinking water for 43,000 people out of that 100,000. They take all the sewage, they compact it, they extract the liquid, it comes out into pure, clean water. The, what's left over is then burned as fuel. It is transforming the world. They have found ways to take dew in the desert in the middle of, of 
uh, of places where rain won't fall, but where dew comes at night, even in the midst of the driest land you could imagine, and are gathering that and collecting that and turning it into drinking water. Look, I think it's impressive that a guy did a party trick and saved a wedding. You know what's even more impressive? Clean water for millions of people. People are involved in this kind of work all the time. Now, here's the thing. I'm having fun with it's a little party trick. Jesus isn't in competition with anyone. My, my friend Samir said to me one time, it changed my life. He's sitting right there. Ask him to say things to you sometime. It'll change your life. He said, it took me a while to realize that God is not so insecure that God thinks God's in competition with humanity. God's cheering us on all the time. This isn't competition. Jesus takes something that was needed, which was something to drink, and makes it. Everyone who does that is doing a greater than miracle. Did you notice the part in there? Can you go back two slides? You notice the part, it was read so, so, so greatly from somebody over here, that what he did is he went to these jars. There were six stone water jars, and they each held 20 to 30 gallons each. We know more about the water jars from this story than we know about anything else. You know what those water jars were used for? Religious purification ceremonies. Jesus takes the religious purification tool, says fill it up with ordinary water, Defile the thing that was set aside for religious exclusion. Fill that up, and I'm going to make wine out of that thing for all the people to drink. Those jars were used to create a context in which some people could be clean to enter, and other people were never cleaned and they had to stay out. And those are the jars that Jesus uses. So in this miracle... He's not only providing something to drink, he's taking that which had been set aside for only religious purposes and used it for the benefit of the people at the party. Every time people take that which is holy and set aside and use it for the benefit of humanity, they're doing a greater than miracle. People that meet in this room and in this church and churches all over and in synagogues and mosques and in Buddhist groups, they're doing this all the time. Taking that thing that feels so separate and holy and bringing it right into the normal and the secular. There's nothing more secular than turning up purification jar into a wine craft. The third thing Jesus does in this miracle, he saves the reputation of the groom. It was the third day of the wedding. Weddings were multiple day experiences. This was the big day. The third day was the day in which they were going to share their vows. This was the big one. And on the big day, the groom came up short. On the day when he was supposed to have everything ready for the party and the celebration, he didn't have enough. On the day when the whole family is there and the celebration is there, this is his time. He is a failure. His reputation is going to be shot. And Jesus' mom says, we're not going to let that happen. You're going to save the reputation of this man. So Jesus makes more wine than they could ever drink. And then they come to him and they say... This is the greatest party we have ever seen. The groom must have been saying to himself, I had no idea. He didn't have enough wine. He may have been worried about it the entire time. 
Some of you spend your lives saving the reputations of others. You stand up for people. You stop the racism. You sit next to the person on the bus and on the subway. You're the person that says, we are going to make sure that your life, that your personality, that your temperament, that you have come to life. We are going to cheer you on. People run parties for others. They have birthday parties at their offices. They go to people who are left out and left behind and they gather around them and they say, we are going to hold you up. I saw this beautiful video on, on YouTube. Maybe you saw it. It's about the man who is a professional barber and he goes to people who are living on the streets and he cuts their hair and cleans them up and says, I'm going to treat you just as well as I treat people that pay for $500 haircuts because I'm going to give you the full treatment of love and care. That's what Jesus is doing in this miracle. It might seem like there's not a lot going on. But when Jesus joins the community of those who are providing water, those who are taking the holy and making it accessible to everyone, and those who are saving the reputations and the lives of people who are feeling left out and left behind and not enough and they come up short, that is a greater than miracle happening all the time. So Jesus walks away and at the end of the next six, he says, oh, those of you who are living in this way, this is just going to keep going. My invitation to you is to consider your life and the life of those around you as those who are participating in these great miraculous signs. Look, miracles are not designed to break the laws of physics. That's not what they are. Miracles are breaking open human potential. What Jesus does in all of these stories is he opens them all up whether it's the man whose son was going to die or it's the man who was sitting by the water and couldn't get in in time to be healed or it's walking on the water, which is a totally crazy one. You should read it in the book. Or it's feeding the thousands or it's the man who was blind or it's calling someone back from death. Those are the seven. These are all opening up the human potential. And I promise you, if you look at your life and those around you, you start to see not just a glimmer of a miracle, but the doing and outdoing of these time and time again. So I'll tell you, it's a real honor for me to be with all of you because the people of Middle Church, you are miracle makers. I live in Minnesota. We know about you. Other people do too. But even if nobody's ever heard of you, even if they're more like the groom in this story, the goodness that you do, the lives that you live, the extension of the miracles of Jesus that you are a part of, they are a welcome participation in the life of all of humanity. So thank you, and may you continue to do and outdo the miracles of Jesus. Amen? Amen. Amen.